This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. I'm Daniela Ciccarelli. I'm here on the Big Scuba podcast chatting to Gemma and Ian. I'm a marine biologist and we're going to be chatting about diving and coral reefs and all things marine and underwater. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. This is episode 101, Gemma. Yeah, we're 101. 101, yes. Uh, So welcome back. Thanks for downloading this episode. Um, we've, you know, we've done a hundred. Yeah. hundred and one. How cool is that? It's uh, so good to uh, reach that little, little mark. From. Well, it feels really good. Yeah. It does. Uh, we're, it's uh, Wednesday night. We're recording on a Wednesday night because we just spoke to one guest, which yep. we'll talk about At later the end, on. Yes. Okay. Uh, right now, we have got another great guest lined up in the wings, ready to talk to us. Yeah. Her name is Daniela Ceccarelli, and she's yeah. based out in Australia on Magnetic Island, and she's a col- she's an ecology consultant. It's called Magnetic Island. I don't know, but it looks really an amazing place. It's, but it doesn't look like a magnet. No. But... Maybe it's because it's magnetic. Anyway, look at your geography book. <laughs> I'm sure the Aussies out there called it magnetic. Island. I think it's got a lot of history and culture as well. So, yeah. 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 But you'll hear uh, that when Daniela introduces herself on the podcast. Yes. So, uh, okay. That's brilliant. I look forward to that conversation. Uh, let me just tell you now, we've got a little bit of a shock, and we, we hardly ever mention that, but we really need to start. Christmas is coming, okay? And what else do you want to buy your partner, your dive buddy, but a big scuba hoodie or even a baseball cap? Yeah, we cover all budgets, don't we? We do. Personally, I don't really suit baseball caps. I look, <laughs> I, I, look like, I look like dad. But, <laughs> um, you know, a baseball cap, you know, you, you seem to wear them quite well. I, don't, I just don't generally wear hats. It just keep the hair under control. That's what I like. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, so if you want a big scuba hat, make contact with us. Uh, they are £15. Unfortunately, I'd like to say they're free, they're free, but they're not. They are £15, including postage and packing to the UK. Yes. International postage will be a little bit more. Uh, but let us know and hoodies and they come in all colors yes you'll see we've worn we've got black we have pink well you don't have pink but I've got two um shades of pink (laughs) you've got gray and black but they come in a you can have them in green whatever color you like so yeah let us know and we can get those sorted for you yeah some of you already sporting them which is really great always good to uh, go to the dive site and you see another big scuba sweater so you can buy yours they're 33 pounds including posters and packing to the uk again if the international a little bit more for postage yeah and there'll be about a week's turnaround from putting the order in to getting them produced and then we'll get them in the post for you yeah so. let's get there come on Chris, christmas is coming the goose is getting fat it's time to get the big <laughs> hoodie 
and yeah and they're really warm the hoodies I felt you know I love my hoodie it keeps me nice and cozy yeah I wear mine at CrossFit as well hello you little CrossFitters who are listening I wear mine at the CrossFit and it helps keep me warm after a wad especially if there's loads of burpees involved um got to say happy Thanksgiving as well to our American friends uh so Thanksgiving is tomorrow, but by the time this comes out, <laughs> so uh, I say hello, all you friends in America, and uh, you know, thanks for listening over there, and happy Thanksgiving. Um, hope you have a good one. And today is Happy Warrus Day. Yeah, apparently so. World Warrus Day. So Happy World Warrus Day if you're listening. Um, okay, so. Um, also, I want to say, if you are listening to us for the first time, where have you been? Go back. There's a hundred other episodes out there, literally a hundred, and uh, where we spoke to a whole range of different guests and uh, people who've done some amazing stuff underwater because that's what we're about. Yeah, anything to do with diving, but not just dive. You don't have to be a diver to appear on the podcast or even listen to the podcast. That's kind of help. Well, it does, but it's not exclusive. No. Yeah. So non-divers, yeah, share the word as well. And hopefully we might inspire some non But Share the love. Share the scuba love. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll talk to anybody. Stop interrupting. We'll (laughs) we'll listen. We'll talk to anybody to do with the underwater world or the watery world. You don't have to be a diver. You don't have to be underwater. But if you've got some kind of impact that, is really important to the watery world then yeah send us a message yeah and uh you know last week we had some really great news to share with you was Gemma is now an advanced diver (laughs) yes so there we go so uh you need to listen to last week's to hear all about that about this about because apparently she's got lots of free time so uh, there we go no i'm just very efficient with my time management (laughs) Uh, don't forget to subscribe don't forget to leave us a review um we i think we're on just about all the major uh podcast platforms which are out there um but leave us a review because it helps other dive buddies find us when they're looking for a scuba diver because there are numerous scuba diving weekly podcasts and we are one of them and uh, there you go. So uh, I want you to, uh, if you can, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And, uh, you know, write in as well. We, yeah. we want your comments. Keep an eye on our social media because we'll always ask for some interaction back, which is always fab when we get it. It is. We love, our, we love hearing from our listener. We're in 108 countries. So, um, you know, there's more out there that we've got to get into. Yes, be good to maybe make it to 110 countries by the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm just going to very quickly say, don't forget our happy bottles. Christmas is coming. Get out there, get your happy bottle, and don't forget to use the Big Scuba podcast um, promotional code, which mm. is Big Scuba. Big Scuba. So bang that in, you get 20% discount. Get that in. Uh, also, uh, I want to tell you and remind you, people getting booked up, uh, we have got the liverboard uh, one to be on. It's the out on the recent wrecks, northern um, Red Sea. 
October the 14th to 21st uh, with Blue O2. Now, we know there's been news about Blue O2. It's all fine. It's all going ahead. You know, don't worry about that. Um, you know, everything's all positive and they're moving on. They've had a, a reorganisation and, you know, rejig. Yeah, let's not get into that. All we need to know is, is it's all positive. It's all good stuff. And you can get booked up. Get booked up. It's going to be a good one. And, uh, you know, we can podcast on there. We can do all sorts of things. Uh, number you need to leave your deposit is, and I wrote it down somewhere, 0152480808. And uh, get on there. Give them a phone call and say, I want to be on that big scuba. Yes, yeah, men definitely mention the, uh, the big scuba liverboard because it's not actually on the website. So you, you need to phone them up and just say, I'm interested in the big scuba. So don't miss out. Get on there. People are booked up and uh, we want to see you on board. So yeah. under a year to go. Yeah, we've got a year to go. You've got a year to save up. Come on, let's do it. Let's get on there. Fired up. Uh, right, I think that's it. Yeah, should we get um, our podcast guest? in the seat that'd be really cool let's do it all right. the way to magnetic island i know we get around the world don't we yeah. <laughs> so this is episode 101 and this is daniela ceccarelli so welcome to the big scuba podcast today we're talking to daniela ceccarelli hello yeah. welcome to the podcast hi thank you for inviting me um, and before we start, um, may I begin with the First Nations acknowledgement? Um, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Yunbunun or Magnetic Island, where I'm speaking from, the Wulgurukaba, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Cool. That was lovely. Um, lovely. <laughs> so, yeah, like you say, you're on Magnetic Island. So, for all of our listeners, do you want to tell them a bit about yourself? Just a, an intro of who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so, yes, my name is Daniela Ceccarelli. I'm a marine biologist. I work for the Australian Institute of Marine Science here in Townsville. Um, Townsville's the city on the coast and Magnetic Island's eight kilometres off the coast. So we're pretty close and um, it's not too hard to commute over there on the ferry for work. Mm -hmm. And um, these days, a lot of people are working from home as well. So um, it's fairly easy to stay connected. And um, I came to Australia in 1995 from Switzerland because I wanted to be a marine biologist ever since I was 10 years old. <laughs> and um, even though I didn't grow up near the coast, so that's a little weird. But um, I just always had this, this um, sense that I was fascinated by the ocean and really wanted to learn about it. And um, I think I also always had this sense that it was really important and also really fragile. And I wanted to learn ways to protect it. Um, so yeah, so in 95, I came to Townsville and studied here at James Cook University and um, got my PhD in 2004 wow. and had three three children along the way <laughs> and then that slowed me down a bit but then um, so until actually until this year I've been working as an independent consultant which means I ran my own business uh, and did work on a contract basis for all kinds of different organizations or institutions government agencies 
and um, and I got to travel to lots of places. I did my work mostly here in Australia, but I also did some work out in the Pacific. Wow. And um, and um, yeah, so my area is coral reefs, coral reef ecology, and um, marine protected areas conservation. Yeah, yeah, no. So you you mentioned that you didn't like grow up around coastal areas. So that's quite something to think that you want to get into like marine conservation or look at corals. Yeah, at such a young age. Yeah, I so when when I was very young, we lived in Italy, and then um, from from about eight years old to fourteen, we lived in Syria, and so we did go to the ocean quite a bit. The sea, it's not really ocean there; it's the Mediterranean. So. Um, we did take holidays mm. at the beach every year. And um, I just remember just spending all day in the water looking at things and, um, and really yearning for it in between when we weren't on holidays and, um, and dreaming about it and reading about it and, um, you know, always gravitating towards information about the ocean. So, yeah, but it is weird because it's, you know, it's, it wasn't like something that I, I lived in or grew up in. Yeah. Were your parents divers or, you know, were any, anyone in your family diving? Not at all. Um, my parents are, were, are both biologists. My father's an agricultural uh, geneticist and mm. my mother was, uh, she's not alive anymore, but she was a um, biologist as well. Um, mm. So there, there was this fascination for nature and for um, this understanding that biodiversity is important and that um, we, we are part of it. We're part of nature. And uh, especially my mother used to drag us out in all weather, especially, you know, when we were living in Switzerland, that's, <laughs> that's actually, you know, what that might be like, but um. Yeah, so she used to drag us out every day in all weather to walk in the woods or to, you know, and she was always picking up bugs and flowers and explaining wow. things. And so it just was part of our upbringing, the appreciation for nature and the understanding that we we have to look after it. Mm. Yeah. Travel is a um, great education and um, sa certainly sounds like, you, you know, you've done some mileage. Uh, over the years with you know Syria, Switzerland, Italy, and now you know on Magnetic Island. And uh, you, you've got a very good broad view of the the world, really. Yeah, well, I feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate to have had these um, these these places to grow up in and these very different cultural experiences and um, you know being embedded in these quite different cultures I mean you know as you know even countries in Europe even though they're close together the cultures are so very different oh, yeah, can and, um, yeah and um, and the mindset is very different the language is very different not just because it's you know not just the syntax but the way that the way that people express themselves about you know their place in the world is very different between the countries mm. and um and so, yeah, you do get an appreciation for that there are many different ways of doing things and living life. <laughs> yeah, and it's adapting to them, isn't it? Wherever you are in the world, you've just got to, yeah, kind of go with what's there. <laughs> so That's science, right. So science has always been in your blood and, uh, you know, certainly sounds like from your family and, you know, you've always had this view on science and it's great that, you know, you've got a chance to then merge that with diving. That must be awesome. And so it sounds like for the last year then, you've been helping other 
companies and had quite a varied sort of year really with, with business and diving yeah no it's actually the other way around so it's like for the last 20 years I've been working on my own and then now in the last year I've been I've had a real job I've had my first real job <laughs> in my whole life <laughs> working for someone else but um yeah no in the in the sense of um you know in working for myself yeah it, it has been a very varied experience um and I really love that I love the yeah. variety uh you know anything from you know pure commercial diving work you know cleaning stuff or building stuff underwater to scientific work to but also a lot of desktop work where my job was to gather information from that had already been collected and putting it together as a review mm -hmm. Um, for example, in many areas, you know, governments, when they try and figure out what to fund next or where to prioritize their funding, they need to know about where we're at with them. So, for example, if there's an issue with um, overfishing, then the, you know, they need to know what are the problems that we already know about, what are the solutions that have already been tried. Uh, where is the problem worse or less bad? And so my job has been to gather all that information into a report. So it's been, you know, anywhere between long months at sea, underwater, to long months at my desk, <laughs> you know, all kinds of different work. So that's been great. And studying what? The health of different parts of the coral reefs around where you are now? or yeah, so with the Australian Institute of Marine Science, I'm on the long-term monitoring program, which is the team that essentially every year goes up and down the Great Barrier Reef. And mm. there's a very specific method for measuring and counting the corals, the fish, um, uh, indicators of health, of coral health, um, things that might be problematic, like the crown of thorns starfish. Mm. Uh, and we compare the reefs that are protected from fishing to those that are not. And, um, and that happens every year in the same way. It's happened for over 30 years now. Wow, and um, yeah, and so it's this incredibly valuable data set to give us an idea of how reefs are changing and where and potentially why. Yeah. And just like, I know it's obviously very detailed, but how have you seen it change over the, all the time that you've been studying it? Yeah, well, I mean, as you probably have heard, there's definitely decline in um, the health of the coral reefs around the world. Um, actually, there's a really good report that's come out recently, a global coral reef report that's very recent from 2020. And um it's, you know, it's basically laying out the data of what we know about how they've changed. But I mean, basically, you know, all the things we do and the way the climate's changing mm. and, you know, the way that people are interacting with coral reefs are mostly detrimental. <laughs> so, so we have seen, we've seen decline in live coral cover, which is the measure by which we, we sort of assess whether reefs are going to be okay or not. So we obviously reefs are made of living corals. So if they're covered in live coral, then they're doing better than if they're not. Yeah. And, um, and so we, we talk about the percentage of live coral cover on a reef as being the measure by which we say whether it's healthy or 
And so then whether that's increasing or decreasing will tell us how that reef's likely to be doing. But so, yeah, over the, over the time it's, you know, there's been um, a sort of a creeping decline in overall coral cover around the world and certainly on the Great Barrier Reef. But the other thing we've seen is that there's still this really good capacity for it to recover if it's given a chance. Okay. So, okay. yeah, so in the last, um, the last time there was really se- severe coral mortality in 2016, 2017, with those really big severe heat waves and bleaching events, um, since then we haven't really had another event that's, killed the coral and so we've seen a really good increase in coral cover so we can see that there's still a wonderful capacity to recover yeah yeah that's really good to hear because you know you can often get quite negative like doom and gloom whereas at least there is potential for yeah recovery and regeneration with uh, what people are doing and yeah these studies are so important as well that's right. Well, without them, we wouldn't really know. Also, like if we do things like stop fishing in an area and um, and try and protect it from some of the, the human activities, we don't really know whether that's working unless we get in there and and monitor it, you know, over time mm-hmm. and compare it to where you know that there's no change. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm really I'm excited to be contributing to this study. Yeah, no, that's so in terms of your diving journey, how did you get it? How did you become a diver? <laughs> so I've, I've always been, I've always loved snorkeling. Um, and, and then, so when I moved to Australia in 95, I started my degree at James Cook University. And one of the first things I did was uh, link up to the dive club and get my dive ticket. And um, I remember that, uh, we so that you know the course is in the pool you do the course in the pool and then um, and then you go out we went out to we came out to magnetic island at that point I still lived on the mainland and um, and that weekend the weather was atrocious so it was really <laughs> it was really rough <laughs> and here in um, on the Great Barrier Reef near the coast the visibility is terrible when it's windy because um the you know it's quite shallow and so with the with the wind and the waves the sediment gets stirred up and then so you can't see very much anyway so it's really murky and really rough and I get seasick I've got that you know seasick marine biologist curse (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so I remember being terribly queasy and seeing nothing and then we went out to the reef itself the Great Barrier Reef um so that from here, it takes about two hours in a fa- in a fast boat to get out to the to the proper barrier, and um, and so again, I was like sick all the way out there. <laughs> and then we, but I just you know, once I got in the water, I was it was just so amazing to be able to stay down there and um, and really get a chance to look around. But then you know, like when you work, as you probably know or have heard before. When you work underwater, the scuba diving itself quickly just becomes the means to an end. So mm-hmm. the diving itself, um, you know, it sort of becomes almost peripheral in a funny way, even though it's central, even though it's you know, without it, you couldn't be there. So, right. um, 
but you kind of, and it's funny because um, I, I often feel a bit self-conscious if I'm diving with recreational divers because everyone's so like neat and has their protocols of how they behave. And we're just a bit messy because we're just busy, you know, doing work <laughs> and collecting information. So we've got things hanging out and <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but so that's, that's when I started diving and um, yeah. And so since then, that's um, become really, I mean, it becomes a way of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you in the water kind of most days? Depends whether I'm on a trip or not. So with this job um, that I've just started, the part of the job description was up to 120 days at sea every year. Wow. And, um, and for us, that means living on board. So mm -hmm. we, have, uh, we have the government ship, the, the Australian Institute of Marine Science, vessel that yeah. we work off um, sometimes we have to charter a ship but essentially the whole team lives on the boat for three weeks at a time or 10 days at a time mm -hmm. and um, yeah. and we move around the reef and um, and sample and yeah it's a it's a it's a way of life I suppose when you're out there yeah so is it quite a big boat how many people do you have on as a team uh, we're so usually we have a team of six um, mm -hmm. and then a crew of five or six as well but it is a big boat it's a really comfortable boat it's yeah. um, we get treated very well <laughs> <laughs> well that's good you know if you're at sea for three weeks that's quite some time isn't it? Yeah. yeah well I've been at sea for three weeks or more on very uncomfortable boats too and I can tell you <laughs> there's a big difference <laughs> yeah yeah. so what sort of depths do you have to is it mostly just reef work or oh, you mentioned commercial um initially so is it all extremes that you cover when you're diving for the scientific work I mean really the life that we're interested in um is concentrated in the top you know 15 20 meters of, mm -hmm. of the sea yeah. so our I mean our work is mostly around you know eight nine ten meters it's not very deep yeah. um, and we're restricted a lot by the tables we work with the dcim tables i'm not sure if you're familiar mm -hmm. with those yeah yeah and um and so we yeah we've got very strict limits for diving just for the you know the risk element also mm -hmm. because we you know we're doing this you know very long repetitive diving over many days yeah. Um, and so we have to be really aware of that. And we are often very remote, so it would um, it would be a bit of a mission to rescue someone. If, Do you carry oxygen? Do you carry oxygen? Yeah, oh, yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, even when I was working for myself, if, if I had to, if I was in charge of running a, a trip or putting a team together, you know, one of the things I always made sure that we had enough oxygen to get us back to shore. Yeah. to get at least one person back to shore um, and to a chamber. So that's always the safety where, protocol. Where would be your nearest chamber from you? Oh, here in Townsville, there's a chamber. Oh, <laughs> so that's easy. Yeah. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah, yeah. It's just that when we're out, you know, on the reef, we, we do go like the last trip we were on was right off the tip of the, the northern tip of Cape York in Australia. So that's incredibly remote. Mm. And, um, you know, we would have to be helicoptered out to somewhere. I'm not sure. Actually, I should know where the nearest chamber is up there, but um, <laughs> it, it might be Darwin, actually. Yeah. 
Wow. Some like risk assessment somewhere. Oh yeah, risk assessment is also becomes a way of life. <laughs> and checklists. <laughs> Always, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it must be an interesting career just to, you know, how it's developed over yeah, the course of yeah, how long you've been in it. Yeah. And I mean, the, that whole, you know, the whole safety aspect has changed so much as well, because I, you know, sometimes I work with people in their 60s and 70s who were diving, you know, when they were in their early 20s or even teens and um, the stories they tell of how they worked back then and yeah, yeah. what they used. And it's really amazing <laughs> what they did and what they got away with. <laughs> That's quite interesting that you use tables. So you are you diving with a computer as well? Yes. You are. Yeah. But yeah. you're governed by the tables. Yes, that's oh. right. Yeah. So so we use both. We I mean, I guess we use the, the computer to give us a measure of what, you know, how long we've we've been down there and where we're at. Um, and then also the, the computer is used as a record. Um, yeah. by the dive officers of what we've where we've been and and then we fill out the tables like we we calculate everything by the tables and fill out forms and yeah. yes so how very very how efficient how many dives a day would you be doing usually about three three or four right yeah, yeah. and um and that's about it because exactly like so for the tables that's that's um, that's actually already quite a lot. So we have to be careful with our surface intervals and um, with our depths and all these kinds of things. Yeah, especially guess, remote as well. Um, that's right. The number of people that risk goes up, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you're using the tables to as well. Yeah, and if you because yeah. if you're diving every day, it's kind of compounding everything as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so every every three, four, five, six days, we have to have a day where we don't dive. Mm -hmm. And um, we do this other method called a manta toe. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But mm -hmm. um, basically, so there's a board, like it's made of wood or plastic, and um, it's got a handle on the bottom, and it's got a, um, a place for to attach an underwater sheet, a sheet to sort of stick on and it's got a pencil on a string hanging off it so that's the board and then the board is attached by a very long line to a small boat right. and um and so the, a snorkeler holds on to the handle and gets towed through the water um and you tow for two minutes and then the boat stops and the diver writes down whatever they've seen so there's a pro you know there's a list of things that you're looking for and mm. you write down the list usually a, a rough measure of coral cover um, maybe soft coral um, we're looking for crown of thorn starfish sharks trout and um, so you would write all those things down and then you would signal the boat and continue and that way we can look at whole reefs yeah. so um, as you know when you're diving you don't cover that much ground but um, with this method, we can cover, we can go around the whole reef and really see um, what the coral's like all around because it's, it's really interesting how, you know, on say on an exposed side of a reef where the waves are crashing, the coral can be incredibly different from the sheltered side mm -hmm. where it's, it's very calm, um, not just in terms of the kinds of coral and fish that live there, but also... Um, you know, what's happened in the past. So if a storm has come through, the exposed side of the reef might look smashed, 
Yeah. And yeah. if that's where you're diving, you might go, oh, this reef is not in good shape. Uh, but then you get to see the sheltered side, you're like, oh, actually, there's nothing wrong with it. And, um, and so, which, which also brings me to the difficulty in communicating what state the reefs mm. are at, because, you know, you might say, um, okay, we've done this study over 20 years, we've collected data on 100 reefs. And based on that, we say that the coral has declined by 50% across this whole, the average. And, um, and then people will go, oh, but this reef I snorkel on all the time looks great. So you must be wrong. And also, I guess it depends also how the media is communicating things and how people are picking it up. Yes. But yeah, so, but, but it's like, yeah, but you can't tell from just one spot. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing because it's just coral is kind of all around the world, isn't it? So you can't be pinpointed that that's bad because it could be great somewhere else. Exactly. Satellite with any of this? Sorry. Are you using satellite? You know, viewing um, anything to do with the satellites? uh, You know, to help look down and measure. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of projects that are looking at um, satellite imagery and, um, and remote sensing to, and then, and then ground truthing that. So meaning that, you know, people will um, collect the satellite imagery, do an analysis on it and say, this is what we reckon it's showing and then send people into the water to say, what is it actually showing? And then calibrating that. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting way to get a really broad view of, um, of a really large area. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that's being developed um, more and more. And there's, there's, there's lots of different projects around the world that are using that kind of imagery and remote um, sensing technology to try and get a handle on, you know, reef development and reef changes in the reef and um, where habitats might be that you might want to protect and things mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. So, you know, are you looking out, are you watching this COP26, you know, what's going on in Glasgow? Are you expecting yeah. to come out of that what's going to impact what you're doing and you'll be or you know, are you looking for certain news? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're all, all anyone who studies coral reefs is looking at it because, you know, in terms of global climate change or global warming and sea warming ocean warming we you know coral reefs are the canaries in the coal mine really because Mm. they they're an ecosystem a whole ecosystem that's incredibly sensitive to even small changes in temperature in ph um, changes also in the patterns of storms uh, patterns of how different species um you sort of develop their population. So I'm thinking of crown of thorn starfish, you know, where they, the population booms, they're a big starfish with thorns all over it, hence the name. Yeah. And they eat, they eat coral and they, you know, when they come out in plague proportions, they can eat a whole reef bare um, within a couple of weeks. So, you know, how does that affect that? And um, in terms of, in terms of changes in the climate and these huge global changes that are very hard to control in one area, um, 
the reefs are, because they're so sensitive, they give us an idea of what could happen next in other ecosystems and mm. ultimately to us. So, um, and, and we, you know, what happens in these big global meetings, what decisions are made, and then what actions are done to combat this climate change that will be reflected in what happens next on the reef, right? Mm. And because we, we know that the reefs can recover and we know it's not too late yet to do something about it, and we have the knowledge and the technology to not just stop but also reverse climate change, we know what to do, really. As mm. Humanity knows what to do. It's just um, there needs to be the, the will, right? <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, it's very closely linked to what we're doing. I mean, we're, you know, scientists, we're really just messengers. We're just measuring what's ha what happens next. Yeah. And then we pass that knowledge on to the managers and, um, and they pass that on. I suppose they then communicate that to the politicians who make the decisions and, um, and so on. It goes around in the circle. Yeah. And I suppose you're the early warning side. You know, you, you get them, you see it, and you're, you're the alarm for the rest of the world to say, right, this is what's going on in the oceans, because what affects the oceans affects the whole planet, doesn't it? You know, exactly. Um, you know, apart from man, you know, is it just the crown of thorns is probably the biggest threat to coral? And is, if so, is it something that man is doing that's making the uh, crown of thorns, you know, produce in bigger numbers? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, a, that's an area of study for sure. And the, the thinking around that is that um, so as, as lots, of, lots of marine organisms, the way that they reproduce is by spawning, right? So they, they send their, their reproductive material out into the water and um, the eggs get fertilized there and then they get, just get swept away on the, in the currents and they develop into, you know, larvae or babies and then eventually they come back and settle in the right habitat. So either on the reef or in the kelp forest, wherever they've come from. And... Um, and so, you know, if, if there's, um, say, some crown of thorns on a reef and they reproduce, the larvae get swept to another place quite often and settle there. So that's how things sort of spread. Right. What we think is, and the other thing I should say is that in once, when they're out in the water, these larvae are incredibly vulnerable. They're very tasty. So everything wants to eat them. So it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's, I, I remember this lecture at uni where, um, where the lecturer was like, there's, n there's no such thing as an average reef fish because first it has to have successfully spawned. Then it has to have successfully fertilized found, you know, the eggs and sperm somehow found each other out in the water. Nice. Then it has to be you know, it has to survive its life in the plankton where everything wants to eat it. And then it has to find somewhere to settle. Like it has to find a reef, you know, by the time it's ready to settle. And then it has to survive settling on the reef where also everything wants to eat it when it's a baby. <laughs> it's amazing there's anything living there at all. Yeah. No, so, so the same thing happens with the crown, crown of thorns larvae. Uh, what we think is that 
through agriculture on the land and through the, the clearing of the forests on the land and the, the fertilization of agricultural land, which with big rains washes down the rivers out into the ocean and mm -hmm. creates this elevated nutrient. So there's more nutrient in the water and there's more turbidity in the water um, since European settlement here in Australia. We think that that has made it easier for the crown of thorns larvae to survive in the plankton and so they settle on the reef in greater numbers and then once you have what happens here generally the pattern is that um, we see the the start of an outbreak in the northern part of the great barrier reef so those rivers there and that land there sort of somehow feeds the larvae and then successively, you know, the generations of spawning starfish move south. And so you get these bands of outbreaks, crown of thorns outbreaks moving south along yeah. the whole Great Barrier Reef over, you know, years, obviously. Mm. And um, there's a lot of work being done now to figure out whether we can actually control them. So sending out boats of divers who inject the starfish with... Um, it used to be for a while it was a, a poison and it was vinegar because it kills them and without mm. affecting the rest of the and now it's ox bile so um it's again it's non-toxic it's a natural product so and mm. it just seems to dissolve the starfish and um and so there's a lot of work a lot of study done to see whether we can actually control it and save some coral mm. like this yeah yeah, it's incredible. It's, uh, everything's changing all the time. So, so what's the kind of plan for the next kind of few months or year for you? Um, so I'm spending November uh, on land, which is unusual because this is usually the field season. So September to May is the field season um, because um, here in Australia, we have the southeasterly trade winds that blow up in the in the wintertime. So it's, you know, when it's windy, it's hard to work. <laughs> it's hard to get to places. And um, and so this is the field season. So and then in December, there's a three week trip. And then in January, there's a three week trip. And then after that, we're still sort of planning the next few trips. But it'll be ongoing. The field work will be ongoing until about April, May. Yeah. And then um, and then it'll be all, you know, working with the data, writing things, um, writing, trying to publish papers, because that's a, a one way of getting information out. Um, mm. You know, when you when you publish a scientific paper, it has to go through peer review. So that's a really good way to get your quality check of your yes. of your science because it gets sent out to other experts and they usually tear it to shreds. <laughs> and then you, have to, <laughs> you have to fix it all up and make Enough. it really bulletproof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it must be. So do you find you've got a lot of new recruits coming through, a lot of new people that are interested or using marine biology as a career? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's always people coming through. And what's really interesting is that when I, when I was going through and doing my, um, my undergrad and then my PhD, there weren't that many women mm -hmm. sort of going on to, I mean, there's, you know, maybe equal numbers of women and men studying, but not that many women were going on to actually work in marine science. 
And now there are, it's much more, you know, it's very female dominated, like any sort of cohort of PhD students here, at least in Townsville, yeah. is at the moment, it's dominated by women, by young women, which is um, it's promising because, yeah, yeah because it, it suggests that, you know, it's become an environment that, um, mm. that is welcoming to, to women. And, um, and so, you know, even though, there's like in the upper reaches of academia or management positions, there's not that many women yet, but certainly, and there's more women doing the field work, getting in the field. Um, this is quite physically challenging, as you know, you know, when you're diving, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's really important, I think, to stay fit because it's not just the, you're not just floating around underwater, you're carrying the tanks and you're, you know, loading the boats and pulling up the anchor and all these like things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my other hat. <laughs> well, I'm sure that goes really well hand in hand with diving, and yeah, it's a... it does really because I mean, the when you think about the breathing, you know, like mm. diving's really all about breath, and so is yoga. Really, it's all about how you breathe, you know, and you know, so much of life is about how you breathe. <laughs> Yeah, you're not gas. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> breathing's good. I like breathing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like breathing too. It's useful. It is. <laughs> but you know how, like, when you're underwater, that's kind of all you can hear is your own breath. Yeah. So um, it's um, it's that really nice sort of point of focus that you keep coming back to. And um, and in yoga, that's, uh, you know, it's one of the methods of meditation. So it's uh, there's very many parallels like it's you know science is a method of inquiry and um, yoga is also a method of inquiry really and um and scuba diving is a, a tool to assist that yeah i had to go at yoga once there was a lot of um chanting <laughs> involved i know we had to stick our fingers in our ears I don't remember that being in part of the yoga. I thought it was all about positioning and stretching and stuff. <laughs> and then they asked to stand up and sing. I was like, hmm. It was dark. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I was, we were saying earlier, we think we need some yoga. We've been doing CrossFit for three solid days and we can't really walk. Oh, <laughs> are you, I was going to say, you must be sore. So yeah. 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 move at the minute. Yeah, but we use CrossFit because obviously it it helps with you know like you say carrying tanks. It is physically challenging diving, and if you can make it a bit easier, then you you know being fit and being able to like carry some weight makes a big difference, doesn't it? I tell you Absolutely. what, you were, you were the first guest to come on and say about you know you and us you're in an area where it's predominantly women most and you know most times we have guests come on and that's quite the opposite you know so it's, it's not it's nice to hear mm, really good yeah yeah I mean it's new that's new here you know like when I was um when I was first working or doing research on the boats um the teams were my, like I was often the only woman like the the science team was all men and the crew was all men and um, and so, I mean, you know, that thing about fitness, I always thought that, I mean, I have to say, too, I want to say that 
I, I was really lucky the whole time because the guys I worked with were just great. Mm -hmm. And I always felt very included. And, um, you know, I mean, the casual sexism aside, which we just like, you have to learn to pick your battles and laugh it off and, you know, make the jokes yourself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a sense of humor. Otherwise you're never really going to fit in. <laughs> but, um, but so the um i you know not that i want to dis discount that as a you know an issue but it's just in terms of if you do want to work in that space and you're surrounded by guys then if you want to continue to work in that space you have to find ways of fitting in yeah. and i think that the thing about fitness is another way of fitting in too because um, if you can carry your weight, so to speak, <laughs> then, uh, you know, you become a valuable team member. And mm -hmm. I always felt like a valued team member. And um, and so, you know, and I, I know that other women have had other experiences. And I'd, again, I don't want to um, I don't want to belittle that. But I, I've been very lucky. I think I've been very lucky. And some of these guys are, you know, my oldest friends and my best friends. And I still work with a lot of them. So um, they've been very, very enduring friendships and um and colleagues yeah. and um and and that it is it is new that there's more women in the scientific community here but yeah like you say it's not it's not universal Gemma often when we go diving um to many of the inland lakes uh often makes a comment <laughs> the lack of other females to talk to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it is you know it make, does make it challenging because you know we have very specific bodies and rhythms and whatever and if you can't talk about it to someone sometimes it gets a little lonely you know like it's yeah. you know I have you know I've been on field trips where I got my period and I'm cramping and you know and you can't really say anything so you just have to get on with it and it's just not very comfortable <laughs> yeah but you know and it's good to hear that you know you've got like a more female dominated environment because you know it just proves that you know those options are open to it's all inclusive to everybody which is really good so absolutely absolutely and and it is I think to some degree yeah the option has to be there but also we have to take it we have to take yes the option yeah as women and I think the more you know now it's become this thing that the more women do it the more women feel like it's also for them mm. and um and especially I mean you guys providing this platform I think has probably helped, you know, yeah. like it's, it's great to hear the voices on this platform talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so thank you for that because I think it's incredibly valuable in encouraging and empowering women and, you know, just people in general to get out there and, and do, do what they, what they're passionate about. You know, some of the, well, I, I'm sure Gemma would agree with this. They actually, one of the best things about this podcast, doing this podcast, is that we get to talk to people like you. And we spoke to, you know, a lot of guests now. And I don't know what percentage is. I don't know. Let's say oh, it'd be interesting to look at kind of the male-female. Yeah. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the women who were spoke to particularly have gone on and done some really amazing uh, expeditions, 
done some fantastic things. And I think, well, you know, I look at my daughter now who's grown up and I think, well, you know, she's got these opportunities where, where they, the, it would have been a lot harder for someone like my daughter, who's now coming up into, you know, an interest in the sport, um, you know, to get involved in things. And we look at some other younger diamonds, mm. you know, where they're now doing some brilliant things, you know, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's really great to see. And it's great that times have changed. Yeah, it is. It's very positive. And, um, <laughs> and there is so much more support for women now. And, um, and I mean, you know, there's now organizations that, you know, extend that support to things like really good maternity leave and, and just a, a culture of support for people, you know, with kids as well. Like, I mean, I, that's another thing, I guess, another point to raise here is that um, women often will start in things like this activities like diving or careers in science or in something that you know is demanding physically or time consuming and then they have kids and it is no longer available to them mm -hmm. so you know I mean in my case I had my kids when I was still in undergrad and um, and so you know I, I was determined to make it work but there was not a lot of support for for me in that in that space at that time. Yeah. And um, I mean, one of the reasons I decided to run my own business is because I didn't see much opportunity for employment somewhere with two, three little kids in tow. I have <laughs> two of my, I should explain, I have two of my own biological and one stepson. And so, um, you know, I didn't always, I didn't start with three. But I, <laughs> I, I, I say I have three because I love them all. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that was, I mean, one of my reasons for working for myself and running yes. my own business yeah. was so that I could determine my own time. And, um, and so, and I did, I did get the sense that that was still an issue um, you know, even three, four or five years ago, but, um, but it depends too where you work. So yeah. Ames, where I work now, um, I have colleagues with small children and I see the kind of support they get. And I just think that's so positive that, you know, it, yeah. I almost had to, I didn't have to hide that I had kids, but I never used to feel like it was an option for me to yeah. say, oh, I only want to do, you know, some of that trip or I want to do it then or I, I can only work this many hours because of the kids. Yeah. I felt like that would have done me out of the job altogether. Mm. And, um, and now, in, especially in some situations like, like some organisations or some institutions, that's now, you know, when I, I almost, I react a little bit when I hear people go, oh, no, I'm not coming in today because my kid's sick. And I was like, oh, you can do that. <laughs> so it's just wonderful to see that changing. It's very, very positive. Yeah. yeah. So have your children gone down any scuba routes? Um, well, each of them, when they turned 16, I, I, their gift um, for me was a, a diving ticket. So they got their open water course when yeah. they turned 16. And so they're all divers and they all love the water. But they're not they don't do any anything like I do so my eldest son is a skydiving instructor and a base <laughs> jumper wow, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
my middle son is a musician. He's a trained musician. Yeah. And my youngest son is a chef. Wow. So they've done very different things in their lives. Yeah. But that's good. They've got their dive ticket and they can appreciate kind of what you do and, you know, the environmental issues, you know, because I think that's yeah. much more focused. Yeah. When you've got that kind of other view of the other environment under the water as well. Yeah, and they do talk about um, now that they're in their 20s because they grew up here on the island and um, and they do talk about appreciating having grown up in nature because this this island is it's 78% national park, so it's mm. pretty wild. Mm. And even though there's, there's 2,500 people that live here um, as permanent residents, that we're co- sort of collected within these little bays and the rest of the island is is very hilly and rugged and it's completely wild so uh, and then you know there's the in the water there's there's coral and fish around the bays and you know yeah. you can get in there and and um and have a look and um so they've they've always had that sense of wanting to be in nature or needing time in nature um you know understanding that that's so important for as humans for our mental health Yes. And our sense, sense of understanding, you know, what our place is in the world. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it's up to us to look after it, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we're really just part of the fabric of, of life. And, um, and I think the problems start when we see ourselves as separate. And, um, and when we see the rest of the life on the planet as being here to serve us mm-hmm. rather than as us just being another thread in the fabric. So, um, yeah, I, I just like, I like to think of the analogy of, you know, that we, you know, we're, we're just, there's this big tapestry of, you know, life on the planet and every species is a thread. And every time you lose a species, you're pulling out a thread and eventually the fabric yeah. falls apart. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and and that affects us ultimately. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, nice and simple. So, yeah, no, really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been great to, yeah, hear. Yeah, and your enthusiasms. Yeah, wonderful. So that's just a, yeah, really good. So we obviously ask um, our guests a few little set questions. Um, so one of them is, if you could take a liverboard, so you have a bit of a a holiday from your day job and you could take a liverboard where would you go anywhere in the world and why so because I go on liverboards all the time (laughs) (laughs) if I could take a liverboard and go anywhere um, I think I would want to go somewhere that's really different from where I often dive which is on coral reefs and um and I think I would love to go diving with some big stuff. Like, you know, we, we see big stuff obviously underwater, but it's not, that's not the dominant life form that we get to see. So I'd love to go somewhere like those sort of mid-ocean pinnacles where all the sharks aggregate and all the rays and, you know, whales. And I just have these fantasies about, I don't know, you know, Cocos Island, you know, off Costa Rica or Galapagos yeah. or just those sort of mid-ocean. I think everyone says Galapagos, don't they? I mean, it's like... Yeah, it's quite anyway. popular. <laughs> but then we have other people, yeah, say that they want to go to like, you know, an ice cap or somewhere just to, you know, see the... Yeah, 
variation of cold water to yeah yeah well that was the the other thing I thought about was that I would love to go and dive under the ice because from what we're starting to see it's incredibly diverse and Mm. um and there's a lot of very weird and wonderful stuff down there (laughs) so I'd love to see hardly any of it's been explored exactly exactly but I don't know I, I I didn't say that first up because I'm someone who just gets cold all the time and I always get, you know, I always get teased because I'm wearing all the rubber and everyone else is like in a stinger suit and I'm like in seven mil. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got to be comfy in the water. That's all I can say. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. So if you could take three people diving from uh, either history, family or whoever, who would you take diving with, with you? I think I'd just like to take my three boys diving cool. and maybe, um, maybe now as a, you know, I'm thinking like that because I haven't seen them for a while. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they're the next generation, right? So mm. having them spend time in it and appreciate the, the, you know, what's going on down there. And otherwise, other than that, what I would, you know, I would sort of pick three, um, three people from, from companies that um, that sort of have a lot to do with polluting or causing damage <laughs> to the yeah. planet and take them diving, <laughs> showing them what they're doing. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that would be yet, but, I'm, you know, I'd want to take people with influence mm. now. So um, people from history would be fun. But I think I think the people who I would like to show the world underwater to are the ones that might have the power to change something yeah yeah no I think that's yeah it's pretty good yeah and we've <laughs> yeah it would just open their eyes I think wouldn't it it's just it's all very well sitting at the you know behind a desk but if you're under the water seeing yeah, yeah. what yeah what the amazing place it is underwater and then the impact that yeah that's right yeah yeah yeah. So that brings us off to our final question. If you could, if you had a billboard, so the whole world could see it, what would you put on it? It can be a statement, a few words, a picture, a video, but something that you want to get out to the world. What would you put on your billboard? I'm really glad you suggested I listen to the other podcasts because <laughs> I think I'd be really stumped if I hadn't had a chance to think about this question. <laughs> I think what I would like to do is have a billboard split in half and on one half have like a beautiful scene of either a forest or a reef or just a thriving natural scene, beautiful, full of colour and movement. And on the other half have that same ecosystem or environment sort of damaged and like you know maybe just like the forest raised to the ground or the reef is all rubble and there's no fish and then I think the words I would have would be you choose yeah simple but powerful <laughs> well I don't know if it would work but you no, know. I think it's good I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah where's the anything that you can put on a billboard or a side of a double-decker bus yeah anything it's all there in people's faces isn't it you choose yeah 
Yeah. And I think it would be, you know, it would be neat to have like a series where you would have all the different major ecosystems on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have like maybe in one place you'd have the billboard with an un- like underwater stuff, but then in other places you might have it as a forest and you might have, I've overthought this obviously, but you might have, um, <laughs> you might have in each place in the world have the billboard reflect the most beautiful ecosystem there so you know like so you know in the north you might have the beautiful fir forests or um you know arctic arctic scenes or alpine scenes or whatever and then you might have them the second half would be them trashed yeah yeah it's true because look at uh i don't know about what it's like over there but you know in this country uh insects uh are on a decline you know, and insects play a really major part of the ecosystem. You know, and there, there's nothing like the number of insects there used to be years ago. You know, and that's, that's because, right. Because of farming and you know, bigger machineries and things like that. You know, all all it's all you know, all part of the system. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's all part of the fabric. And I mean, that could be our demise, you know, like we could, um, we could all starve because of some missing bugs. Yeah. It's, um, it's that, that's how connected it is. Yeah. 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 No, great answers to the question. (laughs) Thank you. Did I pass? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really, really good. So if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where's the best place that they can go to find you? Um, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram like everybody else. And, um, uh, I'm not sure if I have a profile on on the AIMS website, but the Australian Institute of Marine Science website has, um, you know, all the information about the projects and the programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that would be the place to look. Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Oh yeah, I am. Yes. It's just my own name. Yeah. I'm figured out that, you know, like a lot of people have changed their name slightly, but I <laughs> haven't got there yet. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll put all the links in the show notes so that uh, oh, thank you. they can yeah. uh, find you. So that's really useful. So if they want to know more about what's happening, yeah. On the research product projects, that's a, yeah, a great way to find out. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I feel really honored. Yeah, I know. It's just great to have all different, you know, people from all different variations of the scuba world. It's different parts of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've it's, noticed it's got yeah. lighter as we've been talking to you by the window there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the sunrise is about now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they could hear the birds, I think, as well, at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's um there's a whole sequence here that happens. The, the I've got a colony of flying foxes, of bats that lives next to my house. So they come oh, home nice. and make a racket, and then the parrots wake up and make a racket, and then my chickens are actually quite quiet, but I've got a bunch of chickens right here outside my <laughs> office. <Wow>. And <laughs> And then there's the usual, you know, kookaburras and crows and lorikeets and Amazing. Yeah, it's great. Never a dull moment. Yeah. Never so, a dull moment. Yeah, you're waking up and we're like going into, yeah. 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 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. It's been awesome. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Really lovely meeting you. And keep in touch, you know. Me too. If you ever want yeah, to share anything, sure. you know, we're always happy to, you know, sort of share it on our social media as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing your next episodes. I'm like, now it's, it's <laughs> one of my podcasts <laughs> on my list. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really kind of you. Thank Please. you very much. You keep doing the good work. Yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> awesome. no, it's really good. So, well, I hope you have a lovely day. Yeah. And, yeah, you too. Have a great day. Sleep well. Yeah. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Well, what do you think to that? Did you enjoy? I hope you enjoyed that conversation. That was really yeah, that was good. fun, wasn't it? Really good. I want to say thank you very much for joining us on Big Scuba too. Yeah, yeah, no, great. To, and we could hear the the whole dawn chorus in the background. I know it's amazing. That. Yeah, 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 really, really, yeah. And it's um, conversations like that. You think, wow, this is the power of the internet really, that you can talk to someone literally the other side of the world yeah as their dawn was starting yeah yeah because you know if it weren't for the internet you see how long the piece of string would have to be <laughs> yeah all the letters yeah and trying to do a podcast by post <laughs> just no it wouldn't work but there we go powers of technology hey yeah, it? yeah that would. but anyway you know that's really great and uh it's always good to have a great positive guest on and have a chat so yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah hope you enjoyed that one so uh, brilliant okay uh next week yeah next so week. next week it'll be 102 right who knows that's a question out for the class who knows what next week is particularly in america as one of the states in america it's a bit of an important we've had thanksgiving yeah i was going to say that but that's been and gone. There's another date which will go down in infamy. Uh, and we are talking about the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Uh, it's the 80th anniversary. And, uh, you know, it's a big day for America. It's a big day for the world. It's when, you know, things all changed. And, um, you know, it's a, a big day for a lot of people. And uh, we want to highlight that on the big scuba by remembering that and talking to somebody who is actually involved with the preservation of one of the wrecks. And the wreck is the USS Arizona. And they're a diver. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, so our guest next week is Dave Conlin, is uh, a well-known, very respected underwater scientist and um, archeologist as well. Yeah, and uh, spent a lot of time, uh, you know, looking into how we can preserve this wreck uh, mm. is very important and uh, his findings they get reported upwards to the big decision makers yeah yeah in the US Navy and above so we are talking today about his diving we're talking about him involvement in the Arizona wreck and how that's preserved and what that's like actually to dive mm. an important uh, wreck. Yeah, and as we speak, we literally have just come off the line with him. So, yeah, it was an incredible, yeah, honour to talk to him and hear yeah. about his. Yeah. So we're going to be building up um, this date next week with some things on social media. So keep an eye on our social media. And this 
episode with Dave will come out on the 6th of December, which is the day before the anniversary. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, very timely. It is very timely. And we particularly want to say thanks to Dave for uh, coming on and talking to us about it and, you know, sharing all this with us. So Yeah, it was really, 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 really interesting and a really... Yeah, lovely person, and I'm sure we'll have him back to talk about his other uh, adventures yeah. in the water as well. Yeah, so if you've got any interest in history, particularly in history, uh, or if you've, you know, maybe you've got fellow relatives who have served as well, you know, or yourself have served, this is going to interest you as well. So this is, mm. you, know, uh, you know, download it and don't forget to share, don't forget to subscribe, and uh, yeah, this will be a good one. Yeah, I'll be putting a countdown on Instagram stories so you can set that up in your calendar. Yeah, okay. And as always, you know, if you've got something to say, you know, you've got some feedback uh, either before or after it comes out, let us know, let's have it. Any questions for Dave, we'll pass them on. And uh, any questions for us, you know, we'll try our best to answer them. <laughs> yeah, we'll do our best. Yeah, so uh, there we go. So anyway, I think unless you've got anything else, Jim, no, no, it's been a really good uh, episode with Daniela and I'm really looking forward to 102 coming out with Dave Conlon. Me too. So until then, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks that for listening. That was the Big Scuba Podcast. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We are not affiliated with any agency or organisation and all opinions expressed in this episode are our own and those of our guests. If you wish to make any comments about this episode, then please do contact us via email or our social media platforms that are listed in the episode show notes. Alternatively, you can send us a message or voice message via WhatsApp on the Big Scuba Bat Phone. And the number is plus four four seven eight one zero 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 five nine two four. We will always respond promptly. And thank you once again for downloading this episode.